Good day, nerds. This is Megan McCarthy Bianc. Today's Cantina conversation is with Tiana Warner talking about her book, The Valkyrie's Daughter, which comes out on July 26th. Um, this was a pretty good conversation talking about her experience with riding horses and just how important it is uh, for LGBTQ representation in literature. The book was also pretty fun. It was a fun story, a lot of Norse mythology, which I enjoyed. So um, this is a good conversation talking about all those fun things. So um, without further ado, let's go. We've got Tiana Warner here. Uh, the Valkyrie's Daughters coming out July 26th. Um, Tiana, welcome, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, you know, this book was this book was fun and I liked the whole Norse mythology thing. And so I'm excited to like dive a little bit deeper in today. So thanks for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, sure. Okay. So how about you kind of give like a little summary or synopsis? Like we're gonna try to be spoiler free, obviously, but just so like people can kind of listen, follow along with our conversation. Sure. Um, so yeah, the Valkyrie's daughter takes place in the nine Norse worlds. Um, Sigrid is a stable hand who wants more than anything to become a Valkyrie, who are warrior women on winged horses. But Valkyries are born as a bonded pair with a winged mare, and Sigrid is the only girl her age who was born with an ordinary horse. So she can't be a Valkyrie. She's doomed to be a stable hand. And then she sees a vision of herself leading a Valkyrie charge on Odin's eight-legged stallion, Sleipnir. Then she realizes that a greater destiny for herself is possible. So she makes an alliance with an enemy Valkyrie who agrees to help her get to Sleipnir. And the two of them happen to have a bit of chemistry. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that a little bit more too. <laughs> um, so I, you know, looking, just doing some like research about your background and everything. You, you know, your book's kind of like you tend to gravitate towards, you know, like fantasy um, the fantasy genre, what, what kind of like, what kind of draws you to that genre versus, you know, going into another category like sci-fi, for example? Yeah, I think what I like so much about, I mean, I guess sci-fi is, is the same, but it's like, yeah. when you write about, when you write about sci-fi or fantasy, it's like, you're writing about real feelings and experiences on an epic backdrop. So I really like that about like, you know, you're writing about the first time you have a crush, like it's Sigrid having a crush on somebody and it's these very real feelings, but she's like going through the nine Norse worlds and like yeah. going after an eight legged stallion and there's Valkyries. And it's like, so you can get this really epic story happening, but it's still so relatable on a personal level. And that's what I love so much about it. It's just, it's a lot of fun to write and it's a lot of fun to read. It is. And there's so much you can do with it. I feel like as long as you're consistent <laughs> yeah. and like building your worlds, you know, um, there's, yeah, just the possibilities are almost endless. And, um, but yeah, I think a lot of great fantasy or sci-fi or otherworldly types of environments, it's still like a lot of very relatable problems and, and themes and, um, you know, all that good stuff. So yeah, I, I totally agree. So what, you know, your books kind of went from like the nautical theme where you've got with your your previous works this is another trilogy, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And then so what what draw what made you want to um, take on like the whole Norse Norse mythology theme and in incorporating that or, or being inspired by that for your next uh, set of works? Yeah, it um, the mermaid series, like once I saw the traction that that series got I was like okay people love um 
the enemies to lovers romance and like the fantasy elements. And I was like, I, I, I need to write another series with similar <laughs> elements because like, I loved writing it. Obviously it got traction. So like, let's do this again. So I was like, I want another enemies to lovers. That is my favorite trope and um, something based on mythology. So like mermaids, um, you know, is a mythology that's all over the world. Like every culture has some sort of mermaid legend. So I was thinking like what mythology do I want to write next? And Norse mythology to me, like it really speaks to me in a lot of ways. Um, Valkyries, I thought would be super badass. Like I love writing about warrior women and Valkyries are the ultimate warrior women. Like they're Mm -hmm. on flying horses. They're totally badass. Um, So I was like, okay, that's perfect. And I ride horses. So I was like this, Mm -hmm. I can add a lot to that element of it. So, and then like my grandma's Icelandic. So I felt a connection to that mythology as well. So I was like, okay, this is like, I was born to write this book. Like as soon (laughs) as I came up with the idea, I was like, and there's also, I feel like with Valkyries too, you have a lot of opportunities for like a female, female romance Mm because they're all women warriors. So it's like Mm -hmm. all of these elements just combine. I was like, I should have written this like 10 years ago. (laughs) It's like, it started pouring out. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause yeah, I did. Um, I, I had read that you, that you're a horse rider. And I think, I think that's super cool. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's a commitment. <laughs> it's a, it's a yeah. very like hard, very intensive hobby. I, you know, for lack of better words, but yeah, cause it takes a lot of work, a lot of training, a lot of patience and all that, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. And so I thought that was super interesting. I think definitely in your writing, I could tell that you had some firsthand experience. So what was that like? What, what was that process like? Were you, you know, when you were trying to like really capture those details and capture that experience and kind of like really give the reader, you know, that close intimate experience of, of what you feel all the time, I'm guessing. Yeah. I find that you can tell, like, if you know horses, you can tell when an author doesn't because there's just (laughs) little things that don't make sense (laughs) Um, or just like worded strangely. And so I really wanted to like do it in a way that accurately reflected like what horses are really like and what it's like to ride them and obviously even though I don't have experience riding a winged horse I (laughs) could imagine what that might be like um, and add that bit to it as well but um, yeah it was it was fun drawing on the personalities of horses that I've known to like give them character because Mm -hmm. a lot of the time in fantasy horses are just vehicles that people use to get from one place to another and like if you know horses you know that a lot of them are like dogs like they really have personalities Mm -hmm. and so for Sigrid's horse especially like I really wanted him to come across that way like he's a character in him is in his own right and each of the Valkyrie mares like I have a, a document with all the characters um, listed and and their qualities and I have like the horses and their qualities as well like this horse really likes to eat too much like this horse um, <laughs> is scared of everything like I wanted to put little bits of that in so that they're not just generic props like their character yeah, yeah. and no I, I love that too because you definitely like you know, she kept referring to just like the bond that she still has with Hester, even though that's like a bond that's understood to be between a Valkyrie and her mare, but she still like felt that she still, you know, that he was her companion, like her, her lifelong, you know, up until that point anyway. And so how was it like kind of drawing upon that and then kind of bringing that, connecting that to the mythology with a, it was a, how do you pronounce it? Sleipnir? 
Sleipnir, like, yeah. okay. <laughs> the, the eight-legged stallion. Yeah. yeah. So how was that like trying to, you know, use your experience to write about like a, a, a fictional, you know, all, but all powerful legendary horse, um, you know, in the, in that, in that type of world, like how did, how did you make that connection? Yeah, that was a lot of fun um, because like Norse mythology doesn't have a whole lot of details. It's very basic. Like, we have like one line explaining Sleipnir or like two or three is like very small. So it's like, we just know that he is the best horse. So I'm like, okay, that gives me a lot of, a lot of room to work with. How do you define the best horse? So it's like, he's, he's like the ultimate war horse. He's so powerful. Like he can jump really high. Um, so there's a, a real breed of horse called the Frisian. Um, they're very majestic. They're huge. Like they're very upright and you can just picture them charging into war, like chest first, just barreling in there. So when I look at a Frisian horse, I'm like, that is what Sleipnir would look like, except with eight legs. Yeah. So I kind of, I drew on that. Like I, I know some Frisians in real life and I just looked at videos and um, I drew on like their majesticness, I guess, to <laughs> try and describe Sleipnir and the way he would charge as opposed to like Sigurd's horse, Hester, who's more like a, a thoroughbred, who's um, built more like elegant and he's built for speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can kind of see that, you know, comparison, especially how you you kind of relate it to with dogs. I think maybe just a lot of animals that um, are domesticated or have spent a lot of time with humans. I think it's, those are kind of like easier to pick up on their personalities a little bit. And I love how, you know, Sigrid, she, she was trying to warm up to him or get him to open up to her, get him to kind of like relax and get comfortable. And she was just like, God, he's the most stoic horse I've ever met. <laughs> Which is, yeah. And that just like was like it almost perfectly kind of like I like what I had in mind as you know when I was trying to picture him. It's you know, he's he's a no-nonsense horse. Like he he knows what he's about. And yeah, you know, <laughs> and yeah. you know, for him to kind of um, you know, for her to to like approach that and and learn that, um, I thought was very cool and very also very fun. I liked reading about that little um her developing that relationship with the, you know, such a legendary figure. Um, so what did, uh, what kind of research was involved with writing this? Cause I, I, it was either like in your acknowledgements, like either at the end of the book or the beginning of the book where you kind of, you detailed it a little bit of how, you know, there wasn't a whole lot out there and it wasn't, you know, you kind of had to just take some liberties, um, with it. And so, or at least what you would fill in the gaps of how to, develop your stories so how did that like you know how how i want to hear about like how that research process was for you and if it was different or if it was similar to like any other research you've done for your previous uh projects yeah this was a really interesting process um i i listened to a lot of audiobooks and Mm -hmm. read a lot of books and did a lot of online research and um even like joined the norse mythology or the Norse subreddit, like just to get random tidbits here and there. But um, basically everything about Norse mythology comes back to one collection of surviving poems that's like not even complete Mm. called the Edda. So I read that there's a few different translations of it. I read a couple different translations just to like see how they differed. Um, And beyond that, like it's very short, it doesn't take long to read. So I'm like, that's all we have to go on. And no wonder (laughs) everything else is like just an interpretation. So it does free as an author, it frees you to interpret it more because it's like um, you can you can draw on the original stuff and then it's like you're free to do like, you know, adapt it however you want. But 
there's also like in the medieval times, uh, uh, a man named Snorri Strulson interpreted that into a longer work called the Prose Edda. And we also have that as an original source as well, but you have to take it with a grain of salt in a way because he was Christian Mm. interpreting this Norse mythology. And Mm -hmm. so you just, when you read it, it's like, okay, he could have misinterpreted some things. Um, He could have like removed some things, like depending on how the Christian belief influenced that. So it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you have to be careful when interpreting that. And then the other work that I found super helpful was Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman. Okay. Yeah so good because he also interpreted the original works and like really made them fun and theatrical. And (laughs) like when he, he adapted some of the stories of like uh, Thor and Loki. And as I was reading that, I was like picturing the Marvel actors. (laughs) Hilarious. So I really like, I recommend that book to anyone who wants to learn about Norse mythology. Cause I was just like, that was so entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just titled Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I might have to add that to like my my long reading list, but uh, cuz I, I like <laughs> I like Neil Gaiman as a writer, so I would be like interested to see how <laughs> how yeah. how he kind of tackled that um subject matter. Yeah. Um so this book is like young adult, right? It's aimed for that young adult audience. Yes. I know is are your previous works also are you mostly like a young adult author? Yeah, my previous, the Mermaid series, uh, Mermaids of Ariana Kwai, that was also young adult. I would say the Mermaid series was like, the main character is 18. So it's like kind of the older edge of young adult. And then Sigrid is 16. So maybe like a little bit younger. Um, But then my books that I'm working on, like I've got a couple other books coming out this summer and um, some lined up for next year as well. And uh, those ones are more um, adult, so I'm kind of like okay. trying different things. Yeah, 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 for sure. So how? So okay, so guys, the two part question. So like, what kind of draws you to young adult, like to writing for that um, audience, and then what made you like want to shift gears and try something different? I think what is so fun about writing young adult is that you get to re-experience the f- coming of age stuff mm-hmm. so writing about a first crush and like friendships and relationships at that age um it's really fun and i love reading it still because it's so like pure and i find it often more enjoyable than like especially when it comes to fantasy i find it more enjoyable to read ya fantasy because it's not as heavy mm. um adult fantasy can get very dark yeah which I don't enjoy as much. So <laughs> I do, I do like that. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, it's like these real feelings of having a crush while you're like galloping on a Valkyrie <laughs> horse through the Norse world. Right. Like, I, yeah. I find that um, a lot of fun to write. And then, um, yeah, I, I wanted to also try writing adult books. Um, my adult ones coming out are mostly contemporary romance. Um, I, yeah, I think I wanted to write something kind of light and fluffy and uplifting. So when you, you know, you look at contemporary romance, I think it's, it's enjoyable to read and I wanted to give that a shot. And so far, like I'm loving it. It's, (laughs) it's a lot of fun to write. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Cause you know, I, the other authors I talked to where they're like YA, but then they want to, they write like a middle grade book. So I think that's interesting how you're like, you're kind of exploring, you know, that, 
going a little bit older and and the challenges that might come with trying to write for an older audience. I think that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Um, And it is like, even in terms of like exploring um, romantic scenes and like intimate moments. Now that I'm writing adult books, I'm like, okay, I should get more detailed. Right. Which <laughs> in YA, you, you either fade out or you like use metaphors or, or like don't explain it in too much detail. But right. now I'm like, okay, like I should use stronger language during this scene. And that's yeah, <laughs> fun. <laughs> yeah, you get to like let loose a little bit. And yeah, not, not yeah. be so, you know, PG or PG 13 mm-hmm. or even not rated R, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, or unless you want to, that's up to you as well. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's no however, filter. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be fun too and like liberating to like really, you know, go for it. Yeah. Um, so, this is like a two part two part question that I like asking because I don't know I just like hearing the answers. So, um, what were the like the most challenging parts to write, and then what uh, were the most like enjoyable? Hmm. I think the challenging stuff is probably um, like we were talking about with the mythology. Well, okay, I think that's that's kind of both. The mythology was the most challenging and the most fun because as I was writing it, I'm like, there is not a whole lot to go on, yeah. <laughs> um, which can be hard. But then it also makes it fun because once you realize that, then you're free to interpret it. And yeah, like there's a there's a character, um, Ratatosk. He's a squirrel in the original mythology. And I'm like, I don't want to have a squirrel like driving a boat. <laughs> so I'm like, I made him a man. And it's things like that. It frees you to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's also hard because like, I don't want, you don't want people to read it and be like, well, that's wrong. Right. But, <laughs> it's like, I know it's wrong, but I, I did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, there's always that um, you know, the the hard the hard readers like the really serious readers who go off of um, you know, the subject matter and then but you can't always like articulate that. You're like, "Well, I know that this is not accurate yeah. it's like i know that i made this change for a reason <laughs> yeah like you know <laughs> creative so decisions exactly yeah. exactly yeah. so th- this is really important for the lgbtq community and for representation um and you touched on it before we're writing about valkyries is really good opportunity to explore that so like i guess like i'm also another two-part question like what were you like trying to how, what was that process like for you? Cause I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm unfamiliar with the previous uh, works that you've published, but is that also same sex uh, love interests, things like that? Yeah. The mermaid series was uh, also a female, female romance. And um, that the traction that got like helped me decide to write another one. And, and this is like now my niche. And yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize, like when I started writing the mermaid series, um, I, you know, didn't even realize that I had had crushes on girls. Like I was still oblivious to that. Mm. And I wrote this story and I was like, oh, like this girl, sh- this warrior girl should fall in love with a mermaid. And as I was writing that story, I was like, wow, I might not be straight. So it's like this <laughs> cathartic experience of writing this book and about a warrior girl who falls in love with a mermaid. And I was like, okay, I, I think I'm bi or, or, you know, whatever. And so that was, that was really cool. And then to, 
to see how many people had that story resonate with them. And like, I got emails from people and people were sharing it. And I was like, okay, I think I found my people. And so I started like writing more stories in the sapphic romance niche. And I feel like it's been like, every author needs a niche and this is mine. And it feels so great to know that. And like all of my books now are sapphic romances. Yeah, I think I can't remember. Like, does that answer the question? Oh, no, it does. It was just more a general question of me, like, you know, wanting to kind of explore that and how that process was for you. Because I think I could definitely tell that, like, with Sigrid, I imagine that's how, you know, I'm straight. So I, I'm just kind of like, I don't, can't relate. Um, but I've also think it's super important. I, I, I just, I thought it was so interesting how I, you know, the way Sigrid kind of like responds to her, the strange feelings that she's developing for Miriam um, and kind of like the things that she's going through her, her brain as she's coming to terms with these strange new feelings. It's, you know, like it's very relatable to that age group, you know, yeah. as like teenagers, but I also imagine that that would have been so similar to, uh, you know, people who, growing up where like they knew something was different and they couldn't quite yeah because yeah you know it's just the whole process of of uh sexual orientation there's not a whole lot of you know we could go down a rabbit hole but you know there's just it's it's a definitely a different approach where young children or or teenagers they you know they recognize the feelings but they're not sure how to like yeah. like come come to terms with them at least not until they be get older and then they get you know more exposure in the world and they realize there's a whole there's communities of people for for that yeah. and so yeah so that i just thought it was really interesting how like yeah i just i just imagined kind of reading Sigrid's thoughts and and you know reading the uh the, the slow burn and mm-hmm. and the little flirtatious and intimate moments where she <laughs> where she she was kind of confused but she was also like wait like is this okay like does she feel the same way and like yeah you know and she kind of reflects on it too even before that like you know she never really was attracted to the other stable hands and mm-hmm. you know she wasn't you know, and so, yeah, I just thought that was really cool because I thought I imagine like that's yes, it's very relatable for like no matter what your sexual orientation. But I I feel like that's a, definitely relatable for people who are part yeah. of that community. Well, there was, yeah, like two things there. Um, it, when I wrote The Valkyrie's Daughter, I wanted this world to be one where there was no sense of like, like what I went through with trying to figure out your sexuality and like, oh, I, I might not be straight. Okay. I might have a crush on this. Like, like Sigrid just skipped that step. And she's like, I just have a crush on this person who is yeah. a girl. Like there was, there's no homophobia in this world. It just, mm. you have a crush on somebody, no matter their gender. Um, and that was really nice to write it. And I think that for people in the LGBTQ community, that sort of thing is really nice to read where it like people like love is love and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. She just like realized that she has a crush on somebody. Yeah. Uh, so I really, I wanted to write that type of fantasy world. Um, and then the other thing too, is I wanted to write the representation because like in all my books, because that was so important to me in my like self-discovery and coming out experience is seeing that representation on TV mm-hmm. and it, reading it in books and stuff. And like that helped me realize that helped me come out because it's normalized. And so I'm like, I want to write books so that other people can experience that acceptance that I had. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, um, that was so, I mean, you got that feedback just from your first set of projects, your first series where you kind of felt that freedom to be able to like, not take it a step further, but to stay in line with that theme, but also create a world where it's not, yeah, like it's not 
it's not even an issue. It's not even a question. It's just, yeah, like I, I, she's falling in love with someone and they just happen to be the same gender or they're developed. Yeah. That's just doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Other than the complicated feelings that you might have for another person who you're not sure if they feel the same way on top of like going on this super dangerous mission where all these odds are against you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're just like (laughs) trying to, you know, you're trying to, but I, I think I like, that's why I love, I really enjoyed secret as a person. She's a little bit relatable in a sense where she wants something more, you know, she's been watching these badass warriors like all her life and, and, and tending to their, um, their mares. And, you know, she knows everything like the back of their back of her hand, um, you know, by memory, she knows what each horse needs and all that, but she's just been, even though she, you know, her view of like what about what being a Valkyrie means, like was not necessarily tainted by the treatment she received. And it was, mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting, um, you know, concept because she doesn't seem to like have any trauma from it. She's just kind of like, just, she, she's on, she's just wants to prove herself. She just wants the opportunity to show that she could be useful even like from the ground. And yeah. Um, you know, I, I liked that about her where she wasn't just necessarily like accepting, she accepted it to an extent, but she, she couldn't help, but want more. And I think that, you know, without too many spoilers, I think that, you know, it's kind of revealed the reason why her personality is like that, why she has a little inkling that she's like chasing something better for herself. I think, you know, that it's explained later when she kind of discovers more truth about where she's from you know but i know i i like that part of her and then it also ties into i didn't i didn't i guess i didn't get the i definitely didn't get the vibe that she was like asexual or anything but just the fact that she wasn't she was kind of all business when it came Mm -hmm. to the stables (laughs) and i think yeah i think that's also just like a part of her personality too where she's not like one track mind but she's very like she's got a goal and she knows she has to do a good job otherwise like she's never going to hear the end of it or, you know, mm-hmm. she's, she's, she's working uphill just to get like some inkling of respect. So she has to like work like two, two, three times as hard to, to earn that respect. Mm-hmm. She is. Yeah. Very strong and admirable. I think in a lot of ways um, we all have our flaws, but, but I, yeah, I think not many of us would try for 16 years for something and keep failing and failing and failing and stubbornly keep going. Like she, yeah, she definitely is uh strong that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And she's, it's funny that when she gets a glimpse of what is ahead for her or what's a possibility, she can't ignore that path. She's like, yeah. no, this is like, I need to, I need to make this happen. And I'm going to, you know, but I, I mean, definitely she, you know, Vala this year, she definitely gave her a little push. And then we kind of, we kind of like find out why, like how much she actually knows. And I, I feel like you could do a whole book on Vala just by herself. She's such an interesting yeah. character yeah. and, you know, and, and just like the burden that she carries. And um, I liked getting to know a little bit more about her too, like throughout as she's having more intimate conversations with her mm-hmm. um, because there's so much there's so many implications of, of being able to see a vision and the decision that you make depending on who's in that vision. And yeah, you know, heartbreakingly, we find out that there's reasons why, um, you know, she does the things that she does in terms of like 
who she chooses to keep her mouth shut when she chooses to tell people mm-hmm. um, what she does and, and all that. Yeah. She is an interesting character. And um, in the third book, uh, we get into her past more, which is fun. I've started drafting the third one, but we're, we're editing the second one yeah. right now. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, we do get into her past more. Cause I mean, there's someone who's like a um, old ancient uh, seer, on one of the magical Norse worlds. Like she's going to have a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I'm guessing like she's been a seer for a very long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or at least, you know, yeah, at least uh, a generation's worth. And so it's, yeah, I, I love that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's going to be more Vala in the future. Um, so we kind of went off on this a little bit, but um, what do you hope readers get out of Sigrid's story. Yeah, we touched on it a little bit, but in terms of like, um, I mean, just just what we talked about, like her uh, stubbornness and like refusal to give up, I think is inspiring. Like it's, it strangely can be relatable. Like we all have more potential in us. And mm. I hope that, um, I don't know, for me, I, I consider it kind of a metaphor. It's like, okay, what are you doing with your life? And is there more? And like, how are you going to go after it? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also really hope that like the, uh, the female, female romance resonates with people and offers that representation. Um, and yeah, just normalizes uh, a sapphic romance in a YA fantasy book. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, that was, that was really important to me is seeing sapphic romances in uh, media and um i was happy to be able to write that into the story yeah and it does make it a little more interesting and it makes more sense too because yeah with valkyries and like groups of women like him training their entire lives it's she doesn't have a whole you know it makes sense for that for this type of world and even with like the nautical thing where you have with your mermaids trilogy it's it's fitting and that's good that's the whole point right it's like it shouldn't be that big of a deal it shouldn't like you know it should just be a part of like who these who these people are because there's so much more than who they fall in love with or who they're attracted to Mm -hmm. um so no i thought yeah because i you know because i i speak to authors of all different backgrounds and and you know as i said this in a previous conversation like as as cliche as it is it's like representation is so important diversity is so important it's just you know because who knows like where you would have been if you would have read something like this at a younger age Mm -hmm. you might have been you might you still would have gone through that growth but who knows like how that might have changed and how might that might have helped you if you weren't reflecting in in your mind like wait you know wait a second something something's a little different here type of thing and Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i think yeah i think it's super important yeah, definitely. Just a couple more questions before we okay. wrap up. Um, what advice would you give to Sigrid? And then what advice would you give to Miriam? I think for Sigrid, I would tell her to have confidence because she is perfect the way she is. Um, and Miriam, I would tell her to be kind to herself and um, yeah, be gentle to yourself and <laughs> you can you can forgive yourself. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, because, you know, just the character development of, well, Sigrid, I feel like, you know, when you're when you're developing the characters, it's kind of like the, the traits are already there. You're just kind of like trying to pull them out a little bit or put them in situations where 
they'll have to like, you know, fight or fight or flight type of thing. Um, And with Miriam, it was mostly like, I don't know, they're not the opposite, but I love that they got to know each other and that they got to see it's almost like the grass is always greener on the other side and they got to learn like that wasn't true or that wasn't yeah. it's different yeah it's like it's it's like oh you know because miriam's looking at her like sorry that you've been bullied like your whole life like i had i didn't even have anybody you know and it's like and then secret's kind of like well what you got to be a valkyrie <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was, you know, interesting of how to like kind of they kind of complement each other, but then they also like, yeah, they definitely needed each other to help each other grow. And I this very apt advice, I would say, that you would give <laughs> to your characters to be like, yeah. you know, one, uh, Miriam could show Sigurd that she is she is worthy, that she could be tough. Sigurd can show Miriam like it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like just, you know, kind of like just chill or you, you you can bring out, you don't have to be like such a hard ass all the time you know like mm-hmm. you're, you know but yeah for someone who's kind of just used to living her life for survival there's definitely some uh some things to shake there they are good for each other yeah <laughs> yeah so what can readers expect for uh oh actually um i like the cover how much uh input did you did you give on that what was that process like the cover went on. Okay. That was a crazy process. <laughs> we had, <laughs> yeah, we had an original cover and a different title for the book um, like two years ago. And then it was called the Helheim, uh, the Helheim princess. And now it's the Valkyrie's daughter. And um, when like through the pandemic and the supply chain issues, and there was like paper shortages and it was absolute chaos. We had mm-hmm. to postpone the publication date like multiple times. Oh, and okay. so, yeah, the marketing team at Entangled was like, well, let's use this chance to do a lot of marketing and give it a revamp and like really push this book and promote it. I was like, okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> so yeah. So they went through a, a new cover design and title process. They ran it by like a whole team of people. Um, so I had input throughout the whole process um and the power to say no to things i didn't like um and to make general suggestions but like there was a whole creative team behind the cover and title which was super cool and when they showed me the final cover i was just like screaming i was like it's so beautiful (laughs) it's so pretty and i got the print copies now and it's just like it glows like when i take a picture of it it looks like i've just photoshopped it in because it's just so bright and beautiful Mm -hmm. and that's probably uh, a big step from previous experience of releasing your other books because those like are they like a little bit darker covers right or like how to and then how did was it I imagine that process was totally different than this one yeah my mermaid series was self-published so that was um through Amazon printing Um, those are paperbacks Um, I paid for a cover designer that was back in like 2014. It's mm. shocking to think that those those books have been out for that long now. I'm like, what? But <laughs> yeah, so that's like, that was a very different process. And for this one, it's like um, a glossy hardcover. Like there was a creative team behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, way different. Like it's it's so cool to be experiencing uh, working with a publishing house. Yeah. So, okay. So I didn't know that it was independently published your previous work. So what yeah. was that... Um- I'm imagine that was like really different, right? Would you, do you prefer working with a publisher versus having to do it all yourself then? There's pros and cons. I think 
uh, the ideal thing is to do a bit of both as an author. Um, it's, it's fun to have full control over your work and, uh, yeah, like everything about it, the editing, the title, the cover, the price, like promotions, whatever you want to do, it's yours, but it's very, very hard. It's self-publishing is like you, you have to do everything. So to have the support of entangled behind this one is such a relief. And like, it's, you can, you can feel the power of their promotion and marketing behind the book, which Mm. is so cool. And like, it, it didn't go through just one editor. It went through like five different editors and like beta readers and everything. So like, it's, that is really incredible. The whole process that goes that like for one book, the amount of effort that goes into it is crazy. Yeah. It's so cool. And so, yeah, like I can definitely see the obvious advantages of, of doing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I've, I, there's only been a couple of authors that um, went that route where their first book was kind of, it was very like similar where they didn't, they did it themselves or they did it with, maybe like a lesser known publisher, like an independent publisher. And, and then, yeah. And then they, they go this route. They take that, that next step to really doing it um, and getting another, like a professional team behind it. And it, they just made all the difference. So it's, but you know what, you got your foot in the door with those first ones and you had a lot of a good response. And so, you know, yeah. I think that's, that's awesome that you got to see both sides, both, mm-hmm. both, both types of experiences. That's very cool. Um, so last question. Um, so what can we expect for the next book? The next book. Um, so we're deep into edits on this one right now. I'm going to be actually my whole summer is going to be spent editing book two. Okay. The second book is on a much bigger scale. Um, there is a war. There's a lot of, there's a lot more exploration of the theme of good and evil and how mm. the forces of evil influence Sigrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that is a theme that goes through the whole trilogy is like, there is good and evil in the world, but one can't exist without the other. Mm-hmm. So if you want there to be good, you have to accept that there's evil. And um, you, that's that's going to be a really interesting thing to explore for Sigrid's character, because she has the most powerful stallion in the world. Yeah. And he is scary. But <laughs> if she can learn to control him, then she can do great things yeah and she, yeah and you do kind of hint that hint at that with her experiences of of writing him where she she feels something and it concerns her but she knows that she you know she it ha you know it has to be her because she doesn't want to yeah. you know she she doesn't she can't really afford to for it not to be her so yeah. um well i like i like that and i like the relationship that her and, and Sleipnir have developed for the time being and Hester is kind of like reluctantly accepted <laughs> him into their yeah. life you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because I like you know I liked Hester too but I also I don't know I liked Sleipnir he was he was just like I and I like how you were able to just really you know you took your experiences of your love for horse riding and experiences of of you know interacting with um because you know I I feel like people forget how how large and beautiful horses are like in person and um I know whenever I'm like in like, my best friend she used to ride horses and so I remember picking her up from uh the 
I don't know, whatever the f- facility's called a, cu- a couple of times. Um, she, <laughs> she was just like, well, hold on. I'll be right back. If you know, just don't do anything. Like, cause I, <laughs> yeah. She knew I wasn't like trained to like calm down a horse. So I just thought that was very funny of like, I was like, okay, like I won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm going to give off very calming and non-threatening vibes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And so no, I, that's what I think. I just, I thought this was book was very cool. Um, especially with like your, ex- your expert and your experience in riding horses the flame shown through your love for the hobby um for the sport i should say definitely shown through and this was a very fun it was a fun read and and i i'm interested to see where sigurd's story goes next so um tiana warner thank you so much um the valkyrie's daughters out july 26th um do you have like any uh like a website social media that you want to push out real quick yeah, people can visit me at tianawarner.com and I'm on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter at Tiana Warner. All right, perfect, perfect. Yeah. yeah, and um, you know, I again thank you so much. And the, this book was fun and and yeah, I'll be uh interested to hear or to see what what goes on, uh what's what's up next for for all of them. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was yeah. really nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Have a good one. And there you have it. That was Tiana Warner talking about her book, The Valkyrie's Daughter, out July 26th. As always, you know, rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And, you know, it helps us a lot. Um, and go ahead and read my full review of The Valkyrie's Daughter on uh, thenerdcantina.com. If you want to browse any other of my book reviews to see um, if you're looking for the next book to add to your to-read list, feel free to check out all my reviews that I have on there. And of course, follow us on social media, all that good stuff. Thanks for listening.